would turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 has been the focus of our study. We will have a word of prayer and we will read verses 13 and 14 and we will conclude this text today. Father, we praise you, the author and the finisher of our faith. You who spoke existence into being, you sustained it this day, and even in our lives, provide salvation. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for your word and its power to your spirit to save us and sanctify us and to pour your glory upon us. Father, thank you for your church, your precious bride, a gift that you have given to your son that your Son makes holy to present back to you. Father, we praise you for the amazing things that you do. And Father, that you allow us, mere men, creatures, to be a part of it. Father, give us now eyes to see, give us ears to hear, as we drink deep the word of the King of kings and Lord of lords. To your glory and praise. Amen. Powerful living. Be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Basically, in these two verses, the Apostle Paul has rectified what ends up being 29 verses or 29 chapters of rebuking between the two letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And we've already spent years now looking at this letter, and we've seen a just basically a messed up church. And yet, still a church. And, and the Apostle Paul being laid here and to write this down so that he could correct the situations that were existent in this church. And we've been looking through these. And I call it powerful living because if you take just these five commands and put them into practice, then you will walk as Christ walked. And that's all. And I'm thinking in my definition, that would classify as powerful living. And yet, I see so many today in the body of Christ in all kinds of places who are tossed to and fro. And the reason is they have not taken these five principles and asked themselves, how does that look and how, what does it look like? So we'll review it real quick and then we'll conclude with the fifth one. But it says, be alert. It's the word we get to, to watch out. Wake up. Be alert. Okay? It's the word that we get to, uh, a boy's name Gregory from. Um, and let's be realistic. I've taken each of these and gone backwards to look at the Corinthian church. And they were not awake. They were not alert. They were not paying attention. How many in the body of Christ today are not paying attention? They're just not. They are victimized by Satan. They are victimized by temptation. They are victimized by apathy. They are victimized by false teachers. They are victimized by prayerlessness. And they are definitely not ready for the return of the Lord. And you know what? They embrace it. And I've never seen anything like it. We're walking around clueless. Walking around clueless. 
And, and yet, to be alert, if I want to watch for Satan, watch for t- temptation, watch for apathy, watch for false teacher, don't want to step into prayerlessness and be ready for the Lord's return, all I have to do is read my Bible. No, please, it's not books about the Bible. Gee, many crickets. It is the Bible. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And I'd give anything if somebody would listen and say, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I talk to pastors and they're teaching everything but the Bible. And you sit there and go, what? I've never seen anything like it. Look around today. Paul says, you know what? Just wake up. Listen, all the warnings that we need are in one container, one book. And you know what I've learned? They're not hidden. But you do have to read it. I I remember when I first got saved, I I would slide it under my pillow. Ain't that meditating? (laughs) And it dawned on me, this ain't working. This ain't working. Second thing. Be firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Okay? So if I'm going to be in the Word to be watchful, then how am I going to stand firm in the faith? Same book. It's one of them ambidextrous books. Okay? It can help you watch out and it can help you stand. Listen, today in the body of Christ, the greatest single tragedy that I have ever witnessed is the undermining of the Word of God and its authority. We have bought everything. And here's how they'll creep in. Well, there's more truth than just what's in the Word. And as soon as I hear that, I said, yeah, but you don't know it. And then that gets me into trouble. I don't get invited back. That's why I have to buy all of my own lunches. <laughs> Listen, the church in Corinth was denying it. They were taking the philosophy of men, the wisdom of men, and they were trying to blend it with whatever they could. And you know what? And it would be a greater what? I can tell you what it is. Mess. And I watch people who do this. They, we, we believe that our society today is so much more intellectual that, you know what, the Bible's a real old book. And now we have what? False teachers running amok. And the people don't even know it. They don't even know it. They were denying the reality of Christ. I hear that today. In the church... The reality of Christ. Who is He? Who is He? Well, He... I literally heard a conservative evangelical tell me that the Trinity is a false teaching and God leaves heaven, came down here, hung out with us as Jesus, went back up to heaven, and then He came back down as the Holy Spirit and that's what He's doing now. I said, so heaven is vacant. Is that what you're telling me? And I'm sitting there going, no, dude... That's not biblical. Now, it fits your little mold because I don't understand the Trinity. I can tell you, and if I hear another person say, well, it's just like water. Uh, No, it ain't. Well, but you know, water is liquid and it is steam and it is solid. Not at the same time. 
And God is at the same time. I heard somebody tell me, well, it, it's like an egg yolk. You know, you got the yolk, you got the white, you got the shell. That's the Trinity. You stand before a holy God and say, you know, I always thought you was like an egg. I heard a guy selling, but we were celebrating um, Apollo 11, the first thing to the moon, first guys to the moon. They said, well, the Trinity is like the Apollo. He had one guy who kept circling. You sent that two down to the moon. Really? <laughs> no, you're trying to grasp it. You can't grasp a hold of. Don't worry about it. Does it? Well, you know, the word Trinity ain't in the Bible. You're right. Neither is the word rapture. And best I can tell, I'm talking to some of these pastors, neither are their names in the book of life. I mean, if you're trying to go down that road, that's nuts. You know, people ask me, they say, well, could Jesus have sinned? No. Well, that cheapens his grace. Tell him that when you see him. That's the silliest thing I ever heard in my life. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. And guess what? He was in one package. You try to put 200% of something in a bag. All right? See, that's the kind of stuff that you and I have. This is growing. And you know what? They are denying the resurrection power. Look at the average Christian life today and tell me that they're living in light of the resurrection. Think about it. I haven't been around dead people. I've seen a few. You know what? They're dead. You know what they respond to? Nothing. You could take a hat pin and stick them right in the rear end and they're not even going to get mad at you. Does everybody know what a hat pin is? I just thought about that. Hat pin? What the heck is a hat pin? My grandma used to have them. <laughs> but they're not, standing in, they're not standing in the resurrection. Why did he write chapter 15 if the Corinthians were standing in it? It is a bodily, physical resurrection. I have been to Jerusalem. I have been to the tomb. And guess what? He ain't there. And they, every time I've been there, they've got stuff all over the place worshiping everything. They've got a headless body in the church of Paul in Rome that they've concluded is Paul. Well, how do you know it ain't John the Baptist? Just a question. I don't, I, did you have like some of Paul's hair and you what? I don't know how you do. Oh, you didn't have his head. Never mind fingerprints that's how I'd have done it I, do you understand what we're getting at here I can go see all the saints and you'll find their bodies except for one the Lord himself his body ain't there and let me tell you something if we had one we'd have a cathedral okay that's standing in the faith given once for all for all the saints. So when you look at being alert and you look at being firm in your stance, both of those are based on Scripture. Okay? Let me ask you, if you're standing firm in your faith, do you have a firm... Are you firm in your devotion to Christ? Are you firm in your freedom in Christ? Or do you have people come and say, you know, you shouldn't wear this, you ought to wear this, you can't do this, you don't, why are you driving that, or why are you doing this, or why are you doing that? Because people will try to do that. I mean, people will try to do that. I've had people get mad at me, you ain't Southern Baptist. And I said, why not? They said, well, you didn't have an altar call. The text didn't lend itself to an altar call. I ain't going to say it around. And if i got to beg you to come to salvation, then I have done a very poor job of what I'm supposed to do. All right. I mean, if you get, you ain't smart enough to say, well, you know what? This could be a drag. I, I ain't gonna be able to help you. 
How about your, are you firm in your unity? See, I believe that unity, I used, I struggled with this for years, that doctrine divides. But what I've learned is that's not true. Doctrine actually unites. And the reason that there are divisions is because people are clueless. And I don't understand it. It's, it's kind of, it's sad. It's sad. Are you firm in the will of God in your life? Are you firm against Satan? Because see, that's what he means here, stand firm in the faith. Because the faith will keep me against Satan. The faith will show me the will of God. The faith will unify me. The faith will show me my freedom in Christ. And the faith will give me my devotion to Christ. Okay, and it all comes from the word of God. The next thing he had on your list is be mature. The text says be, act like men. Okay, and he's basically saying grow up. Grow up. All right. See, when you go to church, I know what a lot of people think it is, but the truth of the matter is the church should have an individual in control, being controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit, speaking the words of God, which are facts. And then the Holy Spirit takes those facts and sows it into the hearts of those people. And all of a sudden now those facts take control of that person. Okay. I know, I know that that sounds like, well, is that right? Yeah, that's really all it is. I wish it was more complicated than that. You know, people said, well, what is your job? At best, my job is a foghorn. Okay? It's nasty out there. You want a duck? And that's my foghorn. You know, if you wanted to look at it, that's a pastor? Yeah. Well, actually, what happens is, is I'm more of a table waiter. God has his word over here in the kitchen. And I try to get it out to you without spilling it. Okay? And that's it. You know what? I can't even make you eat. I can't. And you know what? I've seen enough to know that there's a bunch of them out there who are starving to death. And and yet, when I see the body of Christ today at it hurts me because it seems childish. And the reason that I say that is the level of arrogance that exists in the body of Christ. Okay, uh, Valeri, the, the pastor, his church is where we, we teach when, when we go over and, and going through this stuff, the, the Antioch Initiative. Um, my first trip to Russia, I asked him, I said, Valeri, how can I pray for you? He says, I need you to pray for my church. He said, okay, Valerie, how can I pray for your church? He says, we have 333 members in our church. I said, well, that's pretty good, Valerie. And he says, no, you don't understand. He says, on Wednesdays, we come together and everybody prays. He says, we've been doing it this way and God has tremendously blessed us. And I said, so what's the problem, Valeri? He says, you know, only 275 will come out and pray. And you want me to pray for you, Valeri? What would you like me to pray? That I won't envy you or covet you? Or what, what is it you're asking me to pray? 
You think about it. You try it today in the Church of America and say, Hey, this day we're coming together to pray. Okay, it's just going to be a prayer meeting. How many people are going to show up? Matt says, I have to, I'm an elder. (laughs) But how many people are going to come up? But you know what I've learned? Prayer is the greatest sign you'll see of humility. All right? Why don't the people in the church in America pray? Well, dude, we don't need him to help us with give us this day our daily bread. We walk into the Safeway and say, hey, I'm buying, Lord, what do you want? Wheat? Pumpernickel? Oh, I know. A bagel. Do you see what I'm trying to do? We don't have that dependency. Prayer shows dependency. Prayer shows humility. I can't do this. I mean, in Romans chapter 8, it says the Holy Spirit at times will intercede on behalf of us with groanings we can't understand. Why? Because sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. Right? He says, don't be arrogant. Don't be childish. How do I grow? Same way you are more watchful. You stay in the Word. Stay in the book. Then we have one here that is a passive verb. Be strong. All these others that I've just given you, be alert, be firm, be mature, you have a responsibility. You need to be in the book. What does the book say? Okay? But now there's this one. It's a passive verb. And basically what that means in the original language is you can't do it yourself. All right? And Paul is emphatic about this. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Okay? Now here's what's amazing about the Corinthian church and many who are not living powerful lives. They believe they are strong. Now that's a fascinating thought when you think about it. But when I watch people who think that they've got it nailed down, those are the ones who make me the most nervous. All right? Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. All right? And, and yet I see people as well. You don't understand. I have been in Bible studies. I've been to Bible college. I've been to da 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 And I've memorized this and I've memorized that. And therefore I can do this and I can do that. And you just sit there and go, oh, mercy. I know people who have been in the Bible longer than I am old and it for no apparent reason. Because the strength is from outside of us. See, true greatness comes from true humility. We do a men's leadership thing here, and and one of the questions that I ask during the leadership thing is, give me your definition of humility. And uh, the guys are really good. It's really amazing to hear it, but they always want to know, Terry, what is your definition of true humility? And I said, it's the absolute absence of pride. Did you hear how I used that? I want you to make sure you get it. It is the absolute absence. Because if there is any pride, there's no humility. No humility. Okay. And then, you know, God in His graciousness... um, He'll humble you. <laughs> so you can either say, I, knew, I read your word and I see why I can be humble, or he'll drag you to the place. And uh, 
I have way too many illustrations of that. Let's move on. But they thought they were strong. Yet they were weak in the spirit. They were weak. And some were weak physically. Weak spiritual will add to weak physical. Okay? Um, Listen, you cannot live the Christian life half-hearted. Can't do it. It's impossible. Why? Because you're running the race to place or you're running the race to win. Now, how many people are going to compete in something? Well, I don't really want to win. I just sort of want to... I got news for you. I don't care what I've done. I never run or participated. I just want a place. No, I want to win. My walk with Christ, guess what? Is no different. And you can't do that half-hearted. Can't do that half-hearted. Which brings me to the fifth one. It comes out of verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Okay, listen. If you have just these first four, you're alert because you're in the Word. You're firm. You're standing firm in the faith because you know what God is doing. And you have strengthened yourself in the Word of the Lord. And you are growing in maturity. And you have allowed the Holy Spirit to take over your position. And so that your strength is coming from the Holy Spirit. And you do not have the fifth one. My best definition of that would be you're a little on the crusty side. And I'm, there may be a, a, a bigger theological term to describe it. But I've run into some of these people. And I call them crusty. Okay, they, you can always tell these, those Christians because their foreheads are always wrinkled up. And they've got these seams across there. And you pray that whatever they've got is not contagious. Alright? The literal text for this is do in love everything. That's how it's written. And that, one of the things that I think that we miss here is that phrase right there, all that you do. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why didn't he just say do this in love? But he didn't. He says, in everything you're doing, do it in love. Well, what would everything be? <laughs> well, it would be like everything. Well, what part of everything? Because you will. You know, I, I remember having a debate with a guy one time on love thy neighbor, who's your neighbor? And we concluded that anybody that ain't you is your neighbor. <laughs> so... Um, See, when you think about it, remember, I'll take you back a few years when we were in chapter 13. I gave you 15 facets of God's glorious diamond, 15 facets of love. Okay, but you can summarize it in one verse. Okay, when you consider others more important than yourself. Okay, you know who others is, right? That would be anybody that ain't you. It's funny because in this text, he's just given them their marching orders. These are all military-style commands. Be ready for battle. You're suited up for war. I'm getting ready. Okay, I'm stepping into this thing. Um, Hear these commands, ready to fight. Oh, by the way, the attitude I want you to have in everything that you do 
is an attitude of love. Because you know what? Most of us can say, all right, be alert. I need to be in the Bible so I can be alert. I can pay attention. I can see what the enemy's up to. I can stay away from temptations. I'll be prayerful and all that. I can do that. All right. Be firm in the faith. Well, if I'm in the Bible already to be alert, then man, I'm going to be firm in the gospel. I'm going to understand this. I'm going to understand the relationship between Israel and the church today. And oh, this is going to be so good. I'll be mature. Well, gee, you've got to be getting mature because you're in the Bible all the time. You're watchful all the time. And guess what? I'm standing firm in the gospel, which means that the Holy Spirit will strengthen me in the inner man. And I will know the love of what? Yeah. You will know the love of Christ that surpasses boundaries and surpasses knowledge. Hmm. Have you thought about it? Read your outline. In love, be alert. In love, be firm in the faith. In love, act like men. In love, be strong. I see this in the church today because the church seems to move way over here and then way over here. And the reason that I watch, if you've got too much love and not enough standing, then the church will wash away in sentimentalism. Okay? But if you've got too much standing... And not enough love, you're just an ugly theologian. (laughs) I mean, that's just what you are. Okay? Because it hangs here. Right here. I'm standing in love. All right? If I love you, I am trying to lead you to righteousness. I can only lead you to righteousness with right doctrine. So when you step out of the doctrine and you're in a wrong place, because I love you as Christ's love, I will tell you you're standing in the wrong place. And most of the times they get mad and they leave. And you said, see, told you. (laughs) Oh, sorry. But love confronts. Paul told the church in Ephesus, speak the truth in love. See, we have both. We have love and sound words. Everything is to be done in love. Okay, do you want me to define everything? I don't think I need to define that. I mean, if you look at it in the Greek, it comes out the same translation you have in... Your English Bible and everything in love. See, in that love, it's not what you and I toss out. Because see, we have love. You know, I can love my dog and my grandma and my wife with the same love. All right? That ain't the term here. The term here is a self-sacrificing service to one in need. That's way different. That's way different. It's not emotional. It's not a feeling. It actually, if you look at it, go back to 1 Corinthians 13, it's a verb. It acts. It doesn't necessarily say it. Have you ever had your kids 
uh, your kids do something really, really, really bad or whatever, and, and they get punished, right? And they're going through the... Okay, and then after that, there's a little growing time or a little healing time. They come back to the parent. And what are the first words that come out of their mouth? I love you. <laughs> okay, and you know what they mean by that. Can I quit being grounded now? Because <laughs> I love you. Okay, well, the love that is spoken of in the Bible doesn't get you grounded in the first place. Okay, because normally what happens is I love me and I like what you can do for me. I mean, we see that between men and women who believe they are in love. You see that between parents. You see that between children and parents. But it's an act of service. It's an act of service. It is the person of Christ. I mean, we like to throw this out, right? Love one another as I have loved you. Right? You'll hear that. You know, you'll do something. You'll call somebody on something and say, well, you know, what you're doing there is not glorifying to God. Well, you are to love me as Christ. Okay? Do you know when he said that? I do. Right after he got done washing his disciples' feet. So what is the act? It's definitely not icky sentimentalism. Because there's one thing that everybody lived during that time had to do. And what was that? Wash your feet. I mean, you walked around in your sandals. I've walked around in Israel. That is a nasty, dirty, dusty place. Okay? Even with pavement. Okay? So anytime you went to a person's house, you had the lowest slave. And he was or she was what? foot washer and here you have the creator of existence washing the disciples feet how do I love wash feet meeting the need of a person who has needs okay now I'll do a quick list here because I don't want to lose the the pattern these wonderful Corinthians how are they doing with their love? Chapter 1, verse 10. <clears throat> now I exhort you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there is no schisms among you, but you are complete in the same mind and the same judgments. There were divisions there. How do you have divisions there? How do you have schisms in the body of Christ if there is love? I think somebody said once, love covers a multitude of sins. Chapter 3, verse 4. One says, I'm of Paul. One says, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? You know, he goes through this whole text right there in chapter 3. He says, you're just of the flesh. Look how he starts it out. Brethren, I do not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able to receive it. 
See, when I see the flesh raise up, then I know that love has left the building. And you see it all over the place. I mean, and I'm not talking about the lost. I'm talking about in the church. You see these infants who think they're strong run around exercising their flesh in the name of love. I mean, I'd like to line them all up and say, here, get you a bowl, start washing feet. Chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. Someone has his father's wife. That gives an odd definition to love, doesn't it? Chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, you will literally see that couples who were married were depriving each other of sexual relations because I wanted to be more spiritual. Really? Where's the love in that? Uh, That was the guy who went and got his father's wife. No. But I see that today. Listen, why does he in chapter 7 say your body is not your own? All right, chapter 8, verse 9. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Do you realize that there were spiritual Christians who were causing offenses to younger Christians? Okay, now how loving is that? Okay, if I'm considering others more important than myself... Where does that fit in what I've given you to date? Okay, chapter 11, 17 through 21. They were literally coming in early for their feast. And because the rich people could do this, and they were leaving just scraps for the poor people who were getting off at 5 o'clock to come in. That sounds loving, doesn't it? Oh, so loving. There wasn't no love. They weren't even loving in the exercise of the spiritual gifts. They were showing off. Let me show you what I can do with my gift. Let me show you what I can do with my gift. My gift is bigger than your gift. My gift, you know, that is the craziest thing I ever heard of in my life. And yet it is growing well today. And yet the Apostle Paul, in the power of God, just beats this thing, one phrase, everything is to be done in love. I don't care what it is. Everything is to be done in love. If you're going to clean the church building, it should be done in love. If you're going to replace the toilet paper thing, it should be done in love. It all should be done in love. What? Everything should be done in love. You know what? You do that, you solve it all. That'll straighten out this mess. Why? You already see in the first four sound doctrine, and now what? Love. Love. You can straighten it all out. Sound doctrine and love. Put these two things together, and you can reverse the whole mess in the Corinthian church. You can reverse the whole mess in a whole bunch of churches today. I've got two situations that I'm dealing with uh, where they're pastorless churches, and I cannot get these people to cross these bridges. They're not doing it. You know, one church I would say was built on, we wouldn't call it sound doctrine. 
Um, I would call it flimsy. Okay, it, it, it ain't error, <laughs> but you just can't get that close. <laughs> I guess this is as close as you can get without being error. But they, they don't have it. They haven't crossed it. And, and you can hear it by in the conversations of all the personal pronouns. Personal pronouns. Me, myself, and I. You know what you do when you give a bunch of those? I left love in my other suit. Okay, because love says others are more important. But you can't ever cross that bridge if you don't have sound doctrine. Okay, I'll conclude it with this. Where do I get this love? Thought you'd never ask. Because I love the Bible. And the reason that I do is every time he tells me to do something, I usually have to go wander around and figure out, okay, how am I supposed to do it? Okay? comes out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 is the text, but it's in the context of a prayer. The Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and he says that I will, he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And we all go, amen! Strengthen me with power in the inner man. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you would be rooted and grounded in love. Got it? Then he goes on. And you will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and to be filled to the fullness of God. Wow. Wow. See... You bow before the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> That's some good stuff right there. And that there goes for years. I know. I preached this text and it took me about two years. Why? Well, you only have to cover the love of Christ that passes knowledge. How long are you going to teach it? See, it's already there. Why? You are already in the Word. You will start understanding that. You will yield to the Spirit of the living God. And guess what? Love is from the Spirit, and the Spirit is in the Word combined together that you will start knowing that that can't be known. Interesting concept, isn't it? All right. Basically, sound doctrine and love. You know what that is? Powerful living. See, to make the church, in this case the church in Corinth, and individual believers what God wants them to be, then they in love have to be alert. In love they have to be firm in the faith. In love they have to act like men. In love they must be strengthened. And in love and all that they do. So when I think about the principles for a powerful life, it's generated by the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit to the individual. They come together. They make sound doctrine. And it is exercised in a verb form. You have seen it's an action because of love. And that ain't that complicated. Is that that complicated? I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's tough to do. 
But let's be realistic. It ain't that complicated. But you have a responsibility and God will take care of His and He seems to be faithful. But if you sit around thinking that you can carry your Bible once a day or one day a week, you ain't going to get it. And if you're truly honest with yourself, and I, and I'm, I, I just want you to think about this, there are two pillars that hold up the church that are very practical. And one is sound doctrine, and the other is love. And you can't lean on one or the other. You ever seen two pillars hold up something? If you lean too hard on one, guess what? <laughs> you fall down. So you have both sound doctrine and love. And that's how the Apostle Paul said in two verses, five commands, the whole disaster that was the Corinthian church can be corrected. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The amazing things you do through your word. And the Father knowing that your people, your love has been poured into our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. And that, Father, we would be strengthened in the inner man by the same Spirit. And that we would know love that knows no boundaries. Help us, Father. Help us to grow in your word and be overwhelmed by your love as we walk in this day and this age for such a time as this you have set us to your glory and praise. Amen.